and welcome back to another episode of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm The Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and with me is a returning guest, Dr. Stuart Robbins. Was that doctor or stalker? Doctor! Doctor! Okay. Does my crazy Canadian accent make it sound like, like stalker? Yeah, it sounded like you had a little S in there. Okay, PhD. Yeah. Now, is this is this the second episode of Conspiracy Skeptic you've been on as a full fledged Doctor of Philosophy? Uh, I'd have to look back at your archives. I'm not entirely sure. Right. That's uh, well, yeah. Let's see. Um, Necromancer, Agenda. Ah, Doctor Stuart Robbins in 2012 and 2011. Uh, so yeah, it looks like this was this will be the second time. Okay, good. Now to to to, to remind our listeners, uh, you 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 started off as this sort of this bright high school kid with his own little backyard telescope, and you would come on conspiracy skeptic and tell us how to fashion your own backyard telescope from like tin cans and those little plastic little six pack um, um, sort of plastic uh mesh things and then you can and and then you you went to university or maybe you call it do you call it college there yes okay you went to university and you were like an astronomy student and you would come on and tell us about astronomy and then and then i i i said you know what Stuart, you are even before you graduate you are staff astronomer of conspiracy skeptic and then, and then I believe you you, you came you, you went on to your PhD program, and then I said you're you're chief. I promoted you chief astronomer, and then I think you you handed in your thesis or something, and then I said you're now astronomer Roy Al of the Conspiracy Skeptic, and then you went and got your own podcast, and you don't need me anymore. <laughs> Uh, that that's a highly romanticized version, I think, of the history. It's close enough. It's close. Okay, enough. we can go with that. We'll go with that. All right. So now, so now you're all you're you're graduated and uh, and you're 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 a NASA stooge. Is that what uh, is that? Apparently, I am a uh, paid shill for NASA. All right, and this is actually what the conspiracy is about. So uh, yeah, so you uh, you you tussle sometimes with. Uh, Richard C. Hoagland? Well, I've never personally tussled with Richard. Okay. Um, but th- this was... I-, I think that this would be considered probably one of my biggest tussles, as long as you ignore Michael Horn. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a whole other podcast. But, um, yeah, so now, now I guess... And, and, and as, you know, as, as I have a... Um, you know, as I have a sidekick, and you're my sidekick... Richard C. Hoagland kind of has a sidekick named Mike Barra. Is this is this how it's going on? Yeah, that's sort of how I consider him. Um, I mean, technically, he's not a sidekick. Mike Barra is his own independent enterprise. Uh, but for many years, at least a decade or possibly two, up to two decades, uh, Mike Barra worked with Richard and... They published a book together, Dark Mission, The Secret History of NASA, mm-hmm. and uh, Mike wrote a lot of articles for Richard's Enterprise Mission website, okay. uh, but you know, when I referred to Mike as Richard's little buddy, as in sort of like uh, Batman and Robin, that was <laughs> that was something I got a little bit of flack for, and it's like, that's not an insult necessarily. I mean, Robin's a cool guy, um, but it, my impression has been sort of that Mike 
Mike started out sort of as Richard's uh, assistant in some stuff, while Mike did his own stuff as well. But then that over the years, Mike has separated himself almost completely from Richard and Richard from Mike. But together uh, for several years, they were sort of uh, together on a lot of things. Okay. Now you, you on your own podcast, you had a interesting guest. That was, it was I think he goes by the, the name Expat. Yes. And doesn't he kind of take on Mike Barra? Uh, his, he's a semi-retired uh, Brit now living in the United States. I think I'm allowed to say that. Okay. I, I know his real name, but I'm not allowed to divulge much of anything, okay. uh, including his real name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, expats, as I said, he's semi-retired, and because of that, he sort of has this side hobby of pointing out everything that Richard Hoagland and Mike Barra just get wrong and screw up and pointing out a lot of the times where they just go way, way out there. <laughs> and um, I'm not sure where I was going with that and part. Okay. Well, well I think well, – Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Mike Barra, I guess he's he, – expat is known to Mike Barra. And didn't Mike Barra get through to – him on uh, parents on um, what's that crazy show they they do out of a, a trailer park? Uh, coast to coast, the coast okay, to coast. Yeah. Okay, so he he got through to Mike Barra as like a call and guess a long time listener, first time caller, and uh, and then Mike Barra kind of quickly figured out who this guy was and just sort of called him a crazy stalker or, or, or something. Right. So uh, you know, expat's been going after Barra and Hoagland for several years. And in 2010, Mike was on Coast to Coast to talk about his book, The Choice, where the tagline is something along the lines of, you've heard of The Secret, now make the choice. And it's basically cashing in on New Age 2012 stuff. And expat called in and said, you know, Mike, I, I've read your book, and I basically, effectively, I'd like you to respond to a few factual mistakes that you've made, for example. And I, I think he might have gotten out one or two before uh, both Mike and uh, the host George Norrie just cut him off and were right. like, "Yeah." Right. Stop. But it, it, instead of answering his questions, like you know, he just sort of right. sh- sort of called him a nut and a stalker. And I don't have to answer your questions. And, and this is this this little aside is actually kind of bringing us up to that. This is now that this is this is not uncommon behavior. It would seem with with uh, maybe Mike Barra, with 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 critics or skeptics. For people interested in that exchange uh, between Expat and Mike Barra, you can go to my podcast, Episode 10, where I interviewed Expat about the incident. But yeah, so that's the subject of this episode, is Mike Barra and uh, his his interesting responses to criticism. Okay, yeah. Now, now I, I, I guess it's... um. Not, was it Richard Hoagland that sort of first introduced this idea that there's like a, a ziggurat on the far side of the moon? Notice I didn't say dark side. The far side of the moon? Good for you. I've, I've trained you well. <laughs> yes, I've been trained. <laughs> Once I was the master, now you are... <laughs> How's that line from Star Wars go? <laughs> anyway... I, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, and now we're, now you're going to get emails. Okay. Uh, anyway, so, so yes, um, Richard Hoagland on, I believe it was July 20th, uh, because it was an anniversary of uh, the Apollo 11 landing on the moon, he came on coast to coast for the first, uh, for, for a new segment during the first hour, 
and he basically said, yeah, we've we've found a lunar ziggurat or a ziggurat on the moon on the far side and that it's almost exactly at 180 degrees, almost exactly on the equator. And it's like a Sumerian pyramid and it's a kilometer across and it it does all this hyperdimensional torsion physics stuff that he's, he's all on about. All right. And now, he, yeah, okay, sorry. Okay, so now, how did Mike? Barra sort of pick up on this? Well, um, Mike apparently heard that Richard was on coast. I'm assuming that he didn't actually listen to it live because a few days later, Mike Barra posted on his Facebook page asking if anyone had the audio of Richard's interview on coast because he wanted to see if Richard basically credited him because it was apparently Mike who had done all of the analysis and established its veracity and then sent the photo on to Richard, and then Richard went on to coast and really didn't give Mike any credit. <laughs> That's sort of why I say that they sort of parted ways somewhat, it seems. But and I think Mike still, at least in public, uh, seems to still uh, have a happy face with Richard, um, possibly looking to sort of follow on with Richard's publicity. There's Mike Barra. Now, this photo, uh, I'll post various links to it, but you, you did actually a very nice uh, YouTube video, but this was sort of just crediting the whole uh, um, uh, Richard Hoagland sort of uh, bit on, on Coast to Coast. Um, now, how, how, so how, how, did you, how, how did you sort of start tussling with Mike Barra? That's a good question. Um, what happened was really that Richard came out with this statement and I was busy working that weekend, and Expat actually posted it on his blog. And I was done with some work and was wanted to take a break, so I and a few other people went searching in this Apollo photo for the actual location of this ziggurat, uh, because we didn't actually know where it was, because the Apollo frame was rather large. Fortunately, we at least had the Apollo frame number. Uh, but, of course, as expected, the ziggurat was not in that location in the actual NASA frame that's right. available on the uh, Lunar and Planetary Institute website. And so I, I did a blog post and video, as you said, and and uh, I actually I think I released that as a special video for my podcast. And I thought that was that. You know, I got a little bit of experience making a video, and I did a little bit of investigation, you know, spent two hours, three hours on this, and that was that was done with. But then Mike decided that a few days later, uh, because this was him, this was his ziggurat. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so a few days later, Mike basically posted to his blog page that or not his blog to Facebook. He said, it's not Hoagland's ziggurat. It's my ziggurat. <laughs> found it. I'm the one who named it. I'm the one who researched it. I'm the one who sent it to him. And it's going to be in my new book. And his new book is Ancient Aliens on the Moon, which actually just became available on Kindle. Uh, so Mike basically was claiming ownership of this. And so he took issue with my debunking of it. Hmm. And so my initial blog post and video was up within a few days of July 20th. Mike decided on the 6th to post to his Facebook page that he was going to utterly and completely destroy you and your insipid analysis. <laughs> and, and did he? 
it was, so the short, short version is no. And the short, short version, because I've already written about 20,000 words on this sucker. Uh, as I said, this is sort of dragged out for now over a month. Wow. But basically, yeah, so two weeks later, you know, a little more than two weeks later, on August 6th, Mike published a relatively short post that went through and effectively, I mean, if you really want to boil it down to the, the bare roots or bare whatever the phrases, uh, it effectively said that the Lunar and Planetary Institute version of the image that's currently online is basically it's been tampered with, that the ziggurat has been removed from it and that it's been airbrushed out and painted over and that the version that he found, which is from the Call of Duty Zombies Forum, um, that's the real one. Right. That's the original. And that the other version that doesn't show the ziggurat is clearly fake. Okay. As in imagery since that time from multiple craft, from multiple countries, all of that is fake. And it's the version that he found on Call of Duty Zombies online forum. That's the real one. <laughs> Let me just repeat that because that is that, that is so right. So you have in your possession from like the Japanese and from the Americans and other photos from later American missions that region, right? And there's no cigarette. And he, the providence of his one photo is from yeah, like Call of Duties, like uh, uh, someone posted on some off-topic board a picture, and somehow that is. How does he establish that that is the authentic, unretouched photo, and all these other photos are are gimmicks somehow? It, you know, it's it's a very convoluted tale, and uh, as I as I told you before we started to record, this thing could easily go five hours long discussing every little bit, but I don't think anyone wants to listen to that, and even I don't want to hear myself talk about it that for that long well this 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 is actually prompted you, you did a couple really good uh, uh on your own podcast um what's the name of your podcast exposing pseudo-astronomy yes yeah your own podcast it, that sort of touched off a couple uh episodes about just like you know fo- uh, you know uh, photographs like you know uh and the, you know so the the retouching process and all and and the manipulation that sort of goes go, goes on uh you know when we're getting images from probes and satellites and stuff right so so his basic argument was actually one that we encounter a lot of times in skepticism and it wasn't really proving the veracity of his version mm-hmm. it tried to do that a few times it, but it was more disproving the veracity of the NASA images and the Japanese images and all of the other images. And so he basically he went through a lot of image analysis and a lot of it was, you know, I think I can confidently call smoke and mirrors. And ever listens to this, I'm sure he's going to quote me and say, oh, blah, 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 blah. But actually, yeah, a lot of his analysis was... Um, not entirely correct, and he made a lot of factual errors in it. Uh, for example, he made factual errors on what con- what the definition of noise is in images. He made factual errors on what contrast is. He made factual errors on the amount of black in the images. 
Uh, he made factual errors on what a histogram should look like in a quote-unquote properly processed image. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I ended up doing almost a dozen blog posts on this. I ended up doing the video on it, and I did a two-part episode on my podcast. That, and I think each episode in itself was almost 45 or 55 minutes long, basically going through the very basics of image processing and pointing out that when you get images from spacecraft, it's not like you took a photograph with your eyes. But yes. That every step of image processing is meant to both remove image artifacts that might crop up, as well as to better represent what the image would be if you saw it with your eye. But each step of that process can also introduce other anomalies. So, for example, um, if you have a hot pixel, where a hot pixel, and here we're, we're talking about digital, I'm going to ignore mm -hmm. it. If you have a hot pixel, that's a case where the individual pixel is defective and it's always on, so it appears bright. That's why we call it a hot pixel. And you can remove that in software by basically uh, one of the, the main ways that we, in astronomy that we use is you take the effectively the median, which is sort of like the average, but not quite. It's more robust. Uh, you take the median of the pixels around it and then the value. But when you do that, you can introduce other anomalies. And you could say, well, at that pixel, there might have been, say, I don't know, a, a very small bright rock that was only one pixel across that normally should have been somewhat bright, but because it was a hot pixel, it was removed. And now if we go back with another spacecraft and image it and there's not a hot pixel there, we see that it's bright. Well, then people are going to say, oh, well, one of these versions is fake. And no, it's not that it's fake. It's that when we went through basic normal image processing, we introduced an artifact. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talked about image artifacts, for example, in analog film days where spacecraft would literally, they would take a picture on film, they would develop the film in the spacecraft, then be scanned. That scan would then be broadcast back to Earth. It would then be recorded on magnetic tape on Earth, and individual, and then or in, then that magnetic tape would be uh, reproduced onto film. But usually, it was in bits and pieces of the original image, and then all of those framelets would have to be combined together to form the original image. And it's just like, when you, it's amazing that the people, you know, 40, 50 years ago were able to do this, but still, it's like anyone who thinks or who claims that one image is more original <laughs> or more genuine than another doesn't know what they're talking about with basic image processing from spacecraft. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the original, like, I mean, if you're sending a, a probe to the to the moon or Mars, you can't do what the uh, like what I guess what the CIA used to do. But some of the original spy satellites, they would just, you know, send up a camera into a satellite and it would take pictures and then it would actually eject the film into a little capsule and then re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. And then they would have like, you know, some sort of you know, Air Force plane or something actually pick up the capsule. You know, but this is before they could sort of transmit images back. Back to, uh, back, back to, uh, you know, back to Earth or something. Yeah, it, it was sort of amazing. Some of the very, very primitive stuff they they, they did way back then. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, and it's impressive. Um, you know, kudos to those guys and gals for being able to figure it out. But you know, it gives me a headache today just thinking about all of all of those various steps and all of the places within those steps where image artifacts could be introduced. Right, and right. now, I, think I need to point out here that the um, alleged ziggurat is not an image artifact. I mean, that is not something that was popped in there because of hot pixel removal or image interpolation or smoothing or whatever. That's either a real feature or someone basically uh, photoshopped it in there with an overlay. Right, yeah. It looks like something uh, a graphic artist at my, my, my software company could do, you know, pretty easily so it, it yeah uh, i mean i i don't understand the all the sort of the process behind like well this is you know how they understand you know, they figure out photo manipulation versus uh you know it hasn't been manipulated by, by photoshop but i mean there, there's nothing in that photo that doesn't that doesn't look like it could not be done by any kind of reasonably competent uh, uh photoshop artist i sent you sort of a, a crappy um version uh, about a half hour before we started recording, where I basically I did you know, I went through some of the steps that someone might have gone through to if they wanted to create that kind of image. And my version wasn't that good, but again, I spent maybe five minutes on it. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, the um, now in your video, you, you sort of show two images: the the original, I think it was the Apollo 11 image of the site. And the and the the ziggurat site now now the Apollo 11 image of the site it's very it's very sharp and very crisp, and the the ziggurat image is it's what you say noise it look doesn't look as crisp it's you know very noisy and and I think you you sort of they you make the point that um you know that you know that you can't take an already noisy photograph and then Make it crisper, so NASA couldn't have gone the other way. If this, if the ziggurat photo is unretouched, it's pretty smudgy and noisy. But there's no way NASA could have then taken that original photo and then made it really nice and crisp, and then also eliminated the the, the ziggurat, right? Right. So there there were a few basic fundamental reasons uh, that I went through initially to say, okay, this is why. I think that this image was fake. And I think it's also important to point out that I never once said that it was Mike or Richard who faked it. <laughs> I said that you know, they were propagating it. Right. Uh, although Mike did say that he enhanced it. But yeah, so basic reasons that I gave for why I thought that it was fake. Uh, one of them that I didn't give in the video that I think that I should just mention right off the bat is that it looks fake. I mean... <laughs> And, and now that doesn't mean that it is fake, that it was hoaxed, but you know, because quantum mechanics doesn't so seem like it should be right. Right. But, but all, all experiments have shown that it is. But I mean, if you just look at the sucker, and as you said, you'll have links to it. It looks fake. Yeah. You know, one of the things I find really amusing is, you know, they're, they're working from. A lot of, yeah, you know, I mean, just not for the, you know, the ziggurat, but all these, you know, moon structures. They're working from mostly like, you know, like Apollo era photographs, and and I, I mean, it's only now we're getting, uh, you know, probes around the moon that have, I mean, have the resolution that we can see the lander and see footprints and stuff like that. But originally, the, these things are not 
super high resolution images of the moon's surface. So when you're looking at a crate, you know, you've got photos of craters, they're big craters. And so when they're looking at, you know, if they're just looking at artifacts or something and going, wow, this is a, you know, a glass worm on the moon, you know, they have to deal with the actual scale of the photo. And these things have to be now like, you know, eight miles long. And, and which is like, to me, it's just like, Really, like these space aliens are building, you know, mile wide ziggurats and eight mile long glass structures. And, you know, it, it, it just sort of seems like kind of like, well, yes, because we have to, you know, we, we, we can't sort of claim these photographs, you know, have much, much sort of smaller scale. So we have to find, you know, we, have, we find these, these, these anomalies and artifacts, but we have to, you know, we, we can't get around the, the, the scale of the photograph, so we just have to go. Yep, eight eight miles long. Yeah, well, and in this case, the ziggurat is allegedly about a kilometer long on each side. But you know, along those lines, I mean, uh, Mike said also of the images, he says, you know, this isn't even the most interesting thing in the image. Can you find the tank? Can you find the <laughs> can you find the flying saucer in the hangar recessed inside a mountain? Is that a direct quote? And it's like, whoa, wait, what? And then it's you know, how how big do you think these things are? Because each pixel is several meters across. So, I mean, this would be a tank that's like, you know, as large of a, as a football field. But it, it, it does kind of um, boggle the mind, I suppose is a good term. But I think one of the reasons that they work from these old Apollo images, at least for the moon, I mean, they have transitioned to more, uh, more recent ones from Mars. But I think for the moon, the reason is, at least one of the reasons, is that a lot of these people got started when it was the Apollo images, and they just sort of haven't transitioned. And I think another reason is that almost all of the Apollo images, except for the mapping camera ones, but all of the images actually taken handheld by the astronauts themselves, and so were more readily publicly available, are oblique, meaning that, you know, they're sort of like if you take it from the window of an airplane, Mm -hmm. and you, you get this perspective shot, and when you have oblique images, weird things start to happen with perspective and uh, other anomalies will crop up. Whereas if you're looking straight down, you can be like, oh, that's what that feature actually is. And so I think that that's another reason why they like the Apollo photos, for the moon at least. Okay. And I think, I think one of the, the, the actual episodes you did on my show, Richard Hoagland, where he just, he just likes to really blow things up beyond you know, any, any reasonable, any reasonable scale or something. And then the you know, look, there's like, you know, staircases on the moon or Mars or something. Yeah. I think uh, that would be episode 22 of yours, the face on Mars one. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can tell that I'm in iTunes as well right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, that, that wasn't, really an issue in this particular example, uh, but that is something that a lot of people will do is that they will increase the size of images, and that was actually one of the factual misstatements by Mike in this whole discussion, is he claimed that when you increase the size of an image, when you upsample it, that you decrease the noise, and that when you upsample it, you also increase the detail. And you know, I blame things like CSI and Star Trek and Google Earth for this this basic idea. I mean, I'm not saying that Mike specifically claimed this, but it's effectively the same as claiming that, say, you have a satellite 
and it takes a picture of a you know a city and a parking lot covers one pixel of that satellite right and, and it's they're basically claiming that in the computer if you blow up the image that that one pixel is going to increase to several pixels and you'll be able to pick out individual cars is no that's it's going to be still the average of everything that was in that one pixel you you can't get more detail than native resolution you can increase the size the computer will be happy to do that and it will use any number of different algorithms to guess at what the intermediate pixels were or what they should be but you cannot get more information than was recorded initially right and uh, so that that was one of the one of the mistakes made in this analysis and this ongoing what i call a discussion <laughs> now, 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 what is, I mean, what Mike's response is, it seems it's just been kind of like, you know, the call you a NASA stooge or, you know, uh, uh, using some other mean terminology. Has, has he has he offered anything but like, you know, you know, uh, sort of ad hominems? Um, a solid quarter of his his responses have been ad hominems and which is in itself kind of interesting. Uh, my final post, at least for the moment on the subject addresses the whole language issue and i mean initially it was um we were just all haters and idiots and morons and various other uh, uh douchebag that's one of his favorites oh okay um, douchebags and he often calls people uh homosexuals uh, you know he uses other terms although i'm surprised that i've sort of escaped that claim which is in and of itself although he has come Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory, which you know, I'm like that—that's an insult. Yeah, he's kind of hot these days, so. Yeah, yeah, Jim Part, Jim Parsons, something like that. But yeah, I mean, I like Sheldon's character. Okay. Um, I've been compared to him in the past, but wow. I take that as an insult. Anyway, so yes, um, a lot of his responses have been insults, um, and then a lot of his, res- you know, some of his responses have had some material in them, although a lot of it is based on misconceptions and other misconceptions. Um, and I, th- I think actually it might make things a little bit more clear to the listeners who might not be familiar with this if I actually uh, mention some of the other reasons for why I said the uh, ziggurat initially was not real. Okay. Uh, so we sort, we sort of covered the, well, it kind of looks fake. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't really pass the smell test. Yeah. Um, but so other reasons are that uh, one is that the overall dynamic range of the version with the ziggurat in it is less than NASA's version, which usually indicates that it's been edited and it's gone through, um, you know, copying and copying and copying. And by dynamic range, I mean the the um, the amount of grayscale, the amount of variation in brightness in the pixels in uh, the in the version with the ziggurat. It only covers um, from pixel grayscale brightness about 18 to about, um, I think it was about 170 or so. Okay. And out of uh, that 0 to 255 possible for an 8-bit image, whereas NASA's version covers the entire 8-bit 0 to 255 range. So the, the dynamic range is less. And once you remove that kind of information, you can't get it back. Again, you can guess at what it was, and the computer will be happy to guess and sort of fill in the blanks, but it's just a guess. Okay. Is this like, because like, like lossy compression, like if you keep 
saving something under lossy compression. It's going to keep throwing out, you know, ah, the human eye probably can't see this. I'll throw this out. Human eye probably can't see this. I'll throw this, throw this out. And if you keep resaving, like opening a, just like a JPEG and then saving it and then open it again and save it, it, it really begins to degrade. Is, is that, is that where the, the, the but that is another reason, actually, that I pointed out is that okay. um, you can introduce it. The the version that he has has more noise and image noise. I have a very lengthy blog post on it. I'll just leave it at image noise for your podcast and interested okay. to go to that blog post. But it has more noise in it. And as you said earlier, you can't get rid of that noise without making other assumptions. And so the NASA version has much less noise than the version with the ziggurat, which will almost always indicate a later generation version. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike actually said, well, that noise actually looks like photo album texture. So what he's claiming now is that this was actually a very old, very original print that was improperly stored in a photo album. Someone looked through a photo album, saw the ziggurat, took it out of the album, scanned it, and put it on the Call of Duty Zombies forum. Of all places. Place and then that's copied it out of that forum. So that's his, his working idea now is that it's just photographic uh, or photo album texture. Uh, but regardless, I mean, that is a form of noise. And so you can't get around the fact that his version has more noise. Another reason is that his version has less detail. So if you look closely at the small craters in the NASA version, those are very fuzzy or very blurry or not even there in his version, which means that it's a later generation, that it's been, you know, either saved and compressed and saved and compressed and whatever multiple times, but regardless of how, it has less detail. And unless you're going to go in and very meticulously create a landscape with craters that somehow actually matches up with the landscape from imagery 40 years later, then he has a later generation version. Now, now, if I had like the original photo, if it was from a photo album, you know, and then I sort of scan it in. I mean, why not just also, you know, take you know, take my digital camera and take a picture of, you know, me holding the photo or it in the album or something, just to sort of show, you know, no, 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 this came from a photo album or something versus, uh, you know. Well, it came from a photo album, then was scanned or something. You know, yeah, too easy for for Mike. <laughs> I don't know. I I would ask the original poster, like, can you just take a photo of it in its album, wherever you got it, or or maybe they just, you know, they only had it, you know, they got it out of the album, scanned it, and had to put it back in the album and back on the, uh, you know, the uh, Illuminati bookshelf or something like that. Yeah, that must be a big bookshelf. <laughs> But I mean, how how does he even say this with a straight face that he got it from a Call of Duty <laughs> message board? And it's like that's another aspect of this whole thing. I mean, as I said, I've gone into this with over twenty thousand words so far, and two podcasts and a video. But when you get right down to it, when you when you back up, when you back away from this, and just look at the situation, the situation is that Mike Barra found this image on the Call of Duty Zombies forum from a poster and he thinks that it's valid and original and he's presented it in his new book and 
any information to the contrary is wrong. Either he shows that it's wrong by several misunderstandings, or he says that any other information, like, for example, the Japanese Kaguya images or Selene images, uh, or the NASA uh, current images at much higher spatial resolution, are all fake. And that the Chinese craft, when they start to publicly release their images, if they actually show the ziggurat, then they're real. And if they don't, then that's because they're in on the conspiracy. And it really gets to the whole idea of any evidence for the conspiracy is evidence for the conspiracy. Any evidence against the conspiracy was removed, and so it's evidence for the conspiracy. And any evidence that attempts to refute the conspiracy was planted there, and so it's part of the conspiracy as well. Right. So it's like you cannot win, which is why I really should have posted in my first or even second or third or fourth post on this, but I didn't make it in until about the eighth or ninth post, is the question that I think you actually ask a lot is what would it take to falsify your belief in this? Right. And that's without that kind of information, you can't win this kind of argument. And I, I actually don't never really expected to win this right. argument. Right. You can never really reach a resolution either until you get an idea of what the burden of evidence is that they're going to claim you need to supply right. in order to prove their belief. And I've now asked this two or three times and Mike's never responded, which actually raises uh, another interesting little tidbit to this is that Mike has throughout this claimed, you know, that he doesn't give a several different expletives. Um, he doesn't really care, we'll just say, what my opinion is or what my analysis shows. You know, he knows what he knows. And then, of course, he spends what he says was over 20,000 words himself, although the actual word count was about 17,650. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he says on the one hand that he doesn't care what I say, which is perfectly fine. I mean, I never really care what he actually says. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, he then devotes all of this energy to showing that I'm wrong. And that actually sort of raises the question of why is he doing this and why am I doing this? I mean, I've actually I had several people on both sides of the issue basically asking me why I go into so much trouble why am i working so hard to show that this ziggurat is fake right and can, can i guess, the, can, can i guess at the answer well if you've read the blog posts you no might. no i didn't i didn't read the blog post but i would say i would say if i my my sake my second prediction i i think it for, for me it's like why do you like conspiracies and i like conspiracies because i know i'm never going to convince the conspiracy person they're wrong but they ask they ask very they challenge your basic assumptions, and 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 then I have to go. Well, yeah, how do we know what we know? And then I learn something. And I I would say, at least from my perspective, that you know, while maybe you're not necessarily learning something, you by by proxy, you're doing this by proxy. It's like, okay, this is a really stupid claim, but riffing off the stupid claim, I can I can teach people something about image compression and how how we get images from, you know, from Mars to Earth into your hands on, on, you know, space.com or something like that. That would be, that would be my guess. Are you sure you didn't read my blog? Post? <laughs> pretty, 
I don't read your crap anymore. No, 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 I did not read. read I, 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 I don't recall that. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically it. I mean, one reason that I gave is that I'm stubborn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't really get around that fact that I am a, a very stubborn person. And my brother can attest to that fact, uh, as can my parents. But another reason is, yeah, exactly. I found this to be an interesting investigation. And while on its face, this looked like a fake ziggurat, it was, okay, how can I go about investigating this claim to see whether or not it's real or whether the evidence supports the null hypothesis? And, you know, so I I went through and I did my initial analysis and then I went through and refuted Mike's refutation. And then I went through and refuted his refutation and my refutation of his refutation Mm -hmm. and, and back in each step, it was a different, different, uh, different type of analysis, I'll say, or a different piece of information that it hinged on. So, I mean, for example, um, Mike, in what he later said was a post that was baiting me, uh, he said, "Okay, well, where are these other images taken by a NASA craft?" And so. I posted them, and then it was, okay, well, I go to this image by the wide-angle camera on the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, and it's clearly been um, scrambled by NASA. And if you go to it, all of the wide-angle camera images look like uh, basically a Venetian blinds effect. And so it's like, okay, this is why they look like that, because this is how the camera works. And this is how you process it properly. And then it was, okay, well, what about the other spacecraft images? What about the Kaguya ones? And so I went through and I explored and found and posted how to find the Japanese spacecraft images. And then it was, okay, well, post about dynamic range and image noise and basic image processing. And each step of the way, it was a different stage of the investigation. It was a different bit of information that, A, I could find out. Or B, if I already knew, I could show and demonstrate, point out to readers and listeners, and you know just act as a reference for my own uh, case later on. And also, just in general, as a scientist, I have to argue and prove my case beyond a reasonable doubt, or at least to show that the evidence that's available supports my model at least as well, if not better, than the other models that are out there. And if I can't successfully argue that, then my paper doesn't get published, then I, you know, I don't get a raise, I don't get a faculty job, I don't get a you know, promotion, this, that, or the other thing. If you can't actually prove your case and provide evidence in science, then you won't be in science. Right. And in just uh, about two weeks from this recording, I'll be in Flagstaff, Arizona in the United States at a conference where I'll be presenting two papers and I'll be presenting some of this stuff to people who have been in the field of impact cratering for a combined total among all of them of over 200 years. And you know, I'm not saying that they're over 200 years old. I'm bad <laughs> up. Right, yes. And, it, and you know, including people who have been around in the Apollo days. And one of the papers that I'll be presenting is saying that some of the uh, basic results from Apollo are wrong. And so – I expect a very steep uphill battle, and I need to have all of my ducks in a row in order to get the convincing case. And I think that that's interesting to then contrast that with Mike's case. I mean, if I took Mike's approach to there, if I yeah, if I took Mike's approach that he's taken to me, and if I took that to this conference, then I would not 
ever be invited back to this conference. Right. I would probably never be publishing again, and I would never uh, be able to have any of these people as reviewers because I would basically tell them, well, if you disagree with me, then you're a douchebag right. or you're an idiot or you're gay, and then just walk out. And it's like you can't do that in science. That's It's an ad hominem, it's a non sequitur, and it has nothing to do with the actual claim being made. Right. No, it's like, um, you know, if if um, if I make a claim and then somebody is, uh, you know, it's like, you know, Mike Barrett, his his evidence against you is, you know, you're kind of, you know, just one of the, you know, nattering nabobs of, you know, NASA skepticism or something like that to steal the uh, uh, not that a Nixon era uh, line. Hello, hello, Nigel. <laughs> and uh, so, but um, you know, and and that and that is kind of seems to be his his response. So it's like, well, I don't have to provide evidence because you're just you're just one of those nattering skeptics. And and to me, if if someone you know, if I make a claim and then someone uh, says, you know, no, your claim is wrong, uh, you know, and uh, even if they are if they're if they're nice or they're you know, or especially if they're you know mean and belligerent and insulting, then there's a certain pleasure in sort of responding to them, and with just you know with the facts and calm and rational and and you know taking them down point by point, uh, and and you would think if Mike Barra had the facts and the evidence on his side, he would just be like, well, you know. Mr. Robbins, but does he does he pull that on you? Call you Mr. Robbins, not Doctor Robbins. First uh, rebuttal, okay. and then found out that I had a PhD. And you know, my my personal opinion, I obviously can't read minds and have no idea what what really went on and said. But I think once he found out that I actually have a PhD and study planetary images for a living, he kind of in his own mind said, "Oh crap." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm going. He's he's an engineer. Does he claim to be an engineer or something? Um, yes, but he doesn't know how to measure an ellipse. Okay, uh, that's a different story. Uh, you can listen to my interview with Expat for more on that. Uh, but yeah, so uh, even Richard Hoagland told him or advised him that he should not pursue arguing this. Um, and I can't read minds, but I'm thinking that that's probably because Richard realized, oh, this guy actually knows what he's talking about, as opposed to just another one of those average skeptics or people who don't study planetary images for a living. Right. Um, yeah, he, he switched over to Doctor, uh, and his apology tweet was something along the lines of, because I, I don't have it right in front of me, was um, something along the lines of, oh, sorry, Dr. Robbins, didn't realize that you weren't an idiot or in a douchebag like expat, uh, now I just chill. And it's like, okay, well, now that I'm apparently a paid NASA shill, obviously nothing that I say is real or true, and it can't be taken, uh, you know, regardless of what, you know, those those crazy facts are going to say, nothing that I say can be true because I'm now a paid NASA shill. Exactly. So, I mean, it just seems to me that, you know, the people who are going to buy his book, you know, they might initially be go, wow, this, you know, Stuart guy seems to be making a lot of sense. But once they know you are a NASA shill and one of those darn skeptics or, you know, atheist or maybe even gay, right? You know, then they can go, well, 
I don't get it. You know, he's probably just making up that science. If I'm a, let's see, what would it be? A gay atheist public show for NASA. I mean, thank heavens that I'm none of those. But it's just like, yeah, this is why I actually, I, I suggested this topic to come on to your show for the first time in a year, um, was that, and I don't say that with any blame. It's more, we've both been. <laughs> I think you're rubbing something in, but keep going. Well, actually, you've been quite uh, nice, and almost every episode you put in a plug for me, and I was actually surprised with your last one on atheist dating that you didn't mention me at all. I was kind of like, you're talking to another Colorado skeptic, of course he's going to talk about me, and it's like... Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. But I guess I kept mentioning the other rich, but... But uh, yeah, it was like for once I wasn't mentioned, and uh, I was a little surprised. <laughs> Just a little hurt by that. <laughs> Just surprised. Anyway, uh, the whole reason that I suggested this topic to you was because this whole thing is basically founded upon a conspiracy for Mike, and the cons- the broader conspiracy is basically in his book uh, that he co-wrote with Richard, the Dark Mission: Secret History of NASA book, um, and it's that. NASA is covering up evidence of ancient aliens on the moon, which is the name of his current book that's out now, the Ancient Aliens on the Moon book, and that all of these features on the moon are real, but they've been covered up, and therefore it's a vast, very vast conspiracy. Right. And uh, it's it's interesting to see his evidence. Um, a lot of it is pareidolia, and uh, for for those of you who are very new to skepticism. I'm not sure why you're listening to this episode as your first one, but if you know, pareidolia is the uh, psychological process of seeing a familiar shape or pattern in random noise or in randomness. And it's basically like seeing a bunny rabbit in the clouds. Uh, But Mike actually surprisingly somehow in some way, shape or form says that pareidolia doesn't, exist i mean to <laughs> I, I know it's just like it's you know out of all of the things that he could have said that were just factually and demonstrably wrong he says parallel doesn't exist and it, you know the quote is um the actual truth is that there is no such thing as pareidolia it's just a phony academic sounding word the debunkers made up to fool people into thinking there is scholarly weight behind the concept yeah. it's actually sham the word was actually first coined by a douchebag debunker and then parent parentheses is this my first douchebag in this piece i must be getting soft in parentheses named stephen goldstein in a 1994 issue of skeptical inquirer since then every major debunker from oberg to dr phil i'm assuming he means phil plate has fallen back on it but it is a load of bs there is no such thing wow and just like what? <laughs> Oberg, James Oberg. He he is like one of the one of the really unsung heroes of skepticism. Like he takes on the UFO people, but he's not, like it, he doesn't really go on podcasts or you know go to I think if he goes to skeptic conventions or something. A lot of people don't really even talk about him much. But he's like uh he's he's like he's like a he's like a NASA engineer or something and um. Knows his craft, speaks Russian, knows all about the history of the Russian space program, and then 
among all of this, just sometimes he likes to dip into like, you know, UFO boards and just argue with these nuts and stuff like that. And they hate him because he knows his stuff. Right. And yeah, I mean, I actually had never really heard of him. I, I might have heard his name tossed around a bit, but um, within this whole discussion, I mean, expat uh, clued me in that Oberg is pretty much one of the foremost people in the United States uh, about the Russian space program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like. It, it's, it's people should look him up if they don't know James Oberg. He's got a website. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the UFO claims, like, um, you know, astronauts saw a UFO following Apollo. 14 or something like that or you know the gemini saw a ufo in orbit like he 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 goes through all that sort of stuff and goes no it was just you know a broken piece of a spaceship kind of they were seeing and th- things like that like he 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 sort of sort of hand you know sort of hands down sort of just pegs it exactly what they were were seeing and 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 uh, he, yeah, he he's 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 a great source for that sort of stuff yeah so uh, apparently, you know, Mike and Richard don't like uh, Oberg, but um, yeah. So pareidolia apparently doesn't exist, uh, and yeah. most of Mike's claims are basic pareidolia. I mean, the claim of yeah, you know, the uh, the gun emplacement, the tank, the flying saucer, and the side of the mountain in that Apollo photo is just more pareidolia, or the glass tunnels is pareidolia. Right. Uh, some of the stuff that he points out isn't pareidolia. Obviously, the ziggurat is not pareidolia. That's either real or it's photoshopped or mm-hmm. transparency, whatever. Uh, some things are just image noise. I mean, in his five-part, allegedly 20,000-word rebuttal of uh, analysis of the ziggurat, he points to one of the Apollo photos, and he blows up a, a region of the sky and is like, see all those points? Those are yeah, UFOs. And... <laughs> It's, um, I don't know if I want to say humorous or if I want to say sad. Um, it, it's, I'll just say intriguing, perhaps. All right. <laughs> what he'll do and what he claims. And, you know, I'd be perfectly happy if I never actually deal with any of his claims again. Um, I'm sure, given the field that I'm in, that I, I will be dealing with some of his stuff again in the future. Uh, but, you know, honestly, I am kind of hoping that this whole Ziggurat stuff uh, with him is over because I have spent a lot of time on it. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and kind of like, you know, I, I didn't really expect to spend over a month dealing with this issue. I mean, granted, I've tried to point out you know, and spend each post dealing with a, a different aspect of image analysis or spacecraft or whatever. So, you know, to get something out of it. But it's, um, I, I don't think there's anything new that can be begat from <laughs> the discussion. Because, I mean, he, you know, as, and I wrote this in my last about it, is that, um, I've laid out my points, Mike's laid out his points, Mike's laid out his language, and if his uh, fans want to follow him and believe his cases and want to pay attention to a guy who argues like a kindergartner, although with the language of a high schooler, then that's fine. You know, They've made that choice. Go ahead, buy his books, see him at conferences. I really, really don't care. But um, 
you know, it's just, I, I don't really think there's anything more that can be had from further analyzing this particular claim. Mm-hmm. Well, th- I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's what I always say too. the, the, the 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 other end of the uh, you know why argue with conspiracy theorists is you know one they challenge your basic assumptions you you learn a lot of stuff about you know how we know what we know but but you know when to stop is when you when you stop learning something so you know because eventually all conspiracy theorists they eventually sort of loop around and they the the point you already you know you demolish at the beginning of the argument they eventually loop around to that. And reintroduce that as if like it just never came up in discussion before. And once they sort of loop around to the beginning again, that is that's they're like, okay, I think I might have learned everything I could have learned from this discussion. Time to time to stop and move on. And, and it reset. Well, and that's why I don't argue with Michael Horn. But it. <laughs> Sorry, even that name just <laughs> just provokes laughter. But I mean. Yeah. So Sorry, it's it's like it's like the punch it's like Snooky. That's just the punchline for anything. Snooky. You know, Michael Horn, punchline. Well and that's really been the case. And and I think I should have asked that question at the very beginning of, you know, what would it take to falsify your belief? And if you don't address that then we're done here. But he he has so circled back to a few claims a few times and that that's why I've ended up discussing image noise and dynamic range at least three different times, I think. Um, you know, each time I've tried to do it from a different angle and, and show it in more detail, but there really isn't, as I said, too much more to be had from it. But he does keep uh, bringing up side issues, like this whole thing about pareidolia. I mean, that was never an issue with the ziggurat, and I never claimed it was an issue with the ziggurat. Uh, but for some reason, he brings it in, or he brings in... Uh, you know, all of the ad hominems that have nothing to do with this or various other things. But I, you know, my advice and my advice that I hope to, let me rephrase that. My advice to anyone who ever wants to do uh, an investigation sort of like this and advice that I hope to be able to follow myself in the future is along the lines of, you know, stay focused. Mm-hmm. Don't, yourself be sidetracked because if you get sidetracked then you are never ever going to resolve the issue because you're just eventually you know you might be talking about say uh whether or not uh trains can travel to alaska and you might get sidetracked to the point where you're talking about whether or not computer monitors will ever reach 4k resolution it's just like what this has nothing to do with it and so my blog posts on this and the latest ones, yeah, I kept trying to, okay, the basic issue is that Mike got a photo from Call of Duty Zombies Forum and says that that is the real image and every other version is fake. And that's the real issue here, is that he thinks that this is a lunar ziggurat. And it's just like that when you circle back to that initial and that root issue, then you can say, okay, all of these other things it doesn't matter. I mean, that's why in Mike's five-part, 17,650-word uh, post, I didn't go through every single line and say, okay, this is why this line is wrong, or this is why this line is right, and this is what it means. I was just like, okay, this part basically says this. Now, here's what's really going on, and this is why it doesn't show what he claims. This is why this part is showing this, and now let's step back 
as a whole, what is supported. That this image is really showing evidence for ancient aliens constructing a kilometer-sized ziggurat on the moon, or is it evidence that that is a tampered-with image? And I think that that's what you have to get back to, is the basic initial root claim. Right, yeah. All of these side issues of whether or not one image is believable versus another one, or where exactly things are. But, you know, I mean, the, the sad thing is, it's like, you know, my, my friend Terry, who I will eventually have on to do talk about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case, he uh, he, he gave me a book for my birthday. Uh, some woman kind of self-published this book about, I, I think she had the claim she's like the, the reincarnation of one of the Roswell space aliens, or she channels one of the Roswell space aliens. But, you know, she just wrote a book about being the Roswell space alien by Stranded on Earth by Commander Rutvern Bean or something. I don't know. And, and and my friend Terry's like, you know, she goes to these UFO conventions and talks, and people follow her and buy her books, and you can kind of make any whacked out claim and there's some UFO convention will you know put you on a panel and people will buy your books and and as long as you just keep standing up and shouting you know NASA conspiracy you know nattering skeptics yada 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 I'm being oppressed that you know people will 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 side with you you know you 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 turn yourself into you know into the David against the Goliath or something and are you how many shekels tall are are, are you, Stuart? Sorry, say that again. How many shekels tall are you, or whatever? Whatever they measured Goliath, whatever ancient yeah system weights and measures they measured Goliath. Cubits, I, I don't know. Right, cubits. Yeah. <laughs> how many cubits tall are you? Are you you fourteen uh, cubits high or something? Or I have no idea. Well, I I, I don't think cubits. Cubits is uh, kind of like ounces. I think there are different kinds of cubits, just like there are different kinds of ounces. I mean, that's why I always love asking someone, what weighs more, an ounce of silver or an ounce of water? And people think that it's a, well, it weighs the same. You know, It's like the which weighs more, a ton of bricks or a ton of feathers question. It's like, actually, no, it's not, because an ounce of water is 28.35 grams or something, but precious metals are measured in troy ounces which is 31 point oh you are like oh i'd make you pay for your own coffee if you tried that on me tricky 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 (laughs) all right (laughs) anything else you want to add or uh um well let's see i mean i had a bunch of other stuff with language i had uh some stuff written down about oh Mike claims that um, that expat and I have been the ones that have uh, have contradict or have argued with vile offensive and insulting language that was personal attacks as opposed to factual and it's just <laughs> like well what? have you been holding up a mirror um, <laughs> he claimed a lot of things uh, some factually mistaken. Uh, oh, actually, there was one thing I did want to discuss. Okay. Um, and sort of made possible too. Um, we are running a little over an hour at this point. Um, one of the things was hatred, and I think that this is an interesting point. Um, Mike, at least throughout the first half of this, pretty much with every post, claimed that effectively 
that the the rebuttals and the arguments with him were out of hatred, and his posts were always about like you know I have bad news for the haters with this latest blog post. <laughs> Be careful, or I'm gonna destroy the haters, and everything was couched in terms of hatred. And I just found that interesting because it's like, well, Mike, you know, I, I really don't hate you. I don't know you personally well enough to decide whether I like you or don't like you or hate you or whatever. But it's something that we encounter a lot is that the people on the fringe who are argued against will frequently revert to that kind of emotional language. Mm-hmm. And possibly this is why you compared me with Sheldon is because I I sort of have been addressing this in a very detached method. Mm -hmm. But this whole idea of we hate you, therefore we're going to argue against you and make up stuff to show that you're wrong. It's like, no, that's really not the case. And um, eventually Mike did pull away from the haters term, at least in this small little context. But a lot of it was couched in terms of, the haters have posted a new thing supposedly refuting this and calling me a heretic. And that was actually another term that he used a lot, that we had to brand him and Richard a heretic. Mm-hmm. I found that particularly interesting because Brian Dunning, just last week in episode 324, I believe, of Skeptoid, addresses the term heretic. Right, He's right, a- yes. He goes, well, actually, no, heretic has only been a term used by the pseudoscientists. It's never been used by a scientist towards a pseudoscientist. Scientists just address the term then and the claim, or sorry, they just address the claim, not the term. Um, and they don't address the person. It's just whether or not the claim stands up to scrutiny. Right. It's like, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like the, the pseudoscientist will call himself, oh, I'm a heretic, or, you know, Omni Magazine will, this guy's a heretic and scientists don't like him, and things like that, you know, but, um, did I really make a reference to Omni Magazine? <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, right, but, but you know, it, it's almost like a title people award themselves to sort of get, yeah, uh, you know, to, to, then they move on to the, um, you know, the, the Galileo claim, and that, that, that sort of stuff, right? It makes an easy transition, Right. Well, and I think that the whole reason that uh, he he uses the term hater is, uh, if I can find it, um, yeah, so I came up with sort of three reasons or three things why I think that he shouldn't use the term hater. Um, one was because it made it seem like he has a persecution complex. Another is because it makes him seem paranoid. Um, you know, they're all out to get me. They're all, they all hate me, that kind of thing. Right. I think that the reason that he uses it is because it makes it easier for him to attack me rather than to address the analysis that I provided. And he really actually started to get away from the whole hater term once he decided that I was a public shill for NASA. And once I was a public shill for NASA, well, of course, anything I say is wrong. Therefore, I don't have to hate him anymore. He doesn't have to be anymore. He doesn't have to hate me. Right, okay. Uh, and that was actually sort of the second side topic that I wanted to, to quickly mention. And that's this whole paid show, public show, whatever for NASA. Um, it is true that NASA grants, for the most part, uh, funded my graduate work. And it is true that today I'm funded at the moment 
by NASA grants that I you know, applied for and won. And to a conspiracist, that means, well, obviously he's bought and paid for, therefore nothing he says can be taken as factual. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, pretty much every single astronomer is the exact same way. And in fact, a lot of people in most fields are that way as well. I mean, for example, uh, a lot of physicists, their uh, research or yeah, the graduate research was paid for, for example, by Department of Defense mm-hmm. contracts or Department of Energy contracts or that kind of stuff. Um, and if not that, then by grants to National Science Foundation or whatever. And it's just kind of like, yeah, I'd be interested in if he can point to a lot of astronomers who are not funded or were never funded by NASA. And so he says that, you know, it's the money that's motivating me to you know, say all this stuff. But on the other hand, he expects us by default then to believe him. And it's like, well, Mike, where where does your money come from? Isn't your money coming from the books that you write that promote this idea from your radio and television and conference appearances where you uh, advocate for these ideas? What would happen to that money if you stopped advocating these ideas? Just like if you want to play the follow the money game, mm-hmm. it works both ways. It doesn't just apply to me. Right. It's like, it's like the alt med, like, oh, big pharma just out to get your money, but meanwhile buy you know, buy these incredibly expensive overpriced uh, uh vitamins from us. Yeah. We don't want your money. Plus the the stuff you have to put in them every month. And it's just like and, and actually Brian Dunning just addressed that also in episode two. Right. Yeah, it's the exact same thing. It's like, you know, okay, the official establishment is all bought and paid for, but I'm the one who's selling you, I mean, giving you the right information. Not selling, but giving. But meanwhile, pay me. Yeah. Follow the money, it works both ways. Well, I like to say there's always, you know, there's a big group of people that probably came, you know, out of the whole, you know, Watergate scandal and stuff like that, that, you know, it, it people just are accustomed to being, you know, the official story is the wrong story. So anything that is an alternative to the official story is probably the right story or is more believable or something. And, and, and I think that's where just a lot of it comes from. So as long as he can paint you as the official story, you know, that then makes him in people's minds, he's right by default because he's not the official story. Right. Well, and, you know, in a lot of what I write, it's either implicit or explicit. I say, you know, here's the information. Go look it up for yourself. Do your own study. Don't take my word for it and definitely don't take Mike's word for it, but do your own investigation. And when you see something, step back and try to think, okay, is this real or could this be any number of other things. Could this be an image artifact? Could this be pareidolia? And how would I go about showing whether or not that's the case? I mean, so for example, I mean, that's why, okay, I went and looked for other spacecraft imagery of this region. What do those actually show as opposed to this one Apollo photo? Right, yeah. Like the original face on Mars photo, where it's just like, we only ever saw that one photo, you know? Well, and it's like, okay, well, apparently, According now to the conspiracists, it's that one image that is the real one, and every single other image has had the face altered so that it doesn't look real. 
Right. Or didn't they, didn't they claim that they just nuked it from orbit or something like that? At least one person has claimed that. I'm sure at least one person. <laughs> Nuke on it. it actually, I, I think, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I heard that in a very old Coast to Coast episode from the late 1990s from someone. But yeah, it's they, they claim all sorts of things. But uh, yeah, it's just you know, always do your own investigation. Always try to figure out what is the more likely explanation. Right. Is the Call of Duty Zombies forum image by an anonymous poster is the real original image and that every other image is tampered with and is fake? Or is it that someone decided to put up a hoax on the Call of Duty Zombies forum? Right, yeah. <laughs> other image. Well, you know, the, uh, Andrew Wakefield, the guy who really sort of kicked off the whole, you know, anti-vax, uh, movement, um, you know, Andrew Wakefield made all these sort of claims and then there was, you know, obviously there was all the science sort of saying, no, 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 vaccines are, you know, safe and effective and, you know, the public's not listening, not listening, not listening. And, and it wasn't until someone showed that, oh no, and Andrew Wakefield, you know, he had a, you know, he was on the take basically like you know he was had his own sort of uh, you know vaccine patent and he was standing to make a lot of money and he was just being paid huge sums by like you know lawyer greedy lawyers and stuff like that what once that information all became public then that's when the public began to turn on Andrew Wakefield so so while your blog posts are really cool and informative and uh, you know that it's 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 you know it, it the, it's like science trying to uh, unscare, you know, parents about the, you know, the MMR vaccine. That 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 facts are aren't going to do it, you know, <laughs> for the people who are already in that, you know, I doubt the official story sort of way of thinking. Yeah. Facts are, I think Richard Nixon. It was butcher. I, I could get both of these people wrong, but I think it was Richard Nixon who butchered the Thomas Jefferson quote. He said, "Facts are stupid things." <laughs> <laughs> Conspiracy claims. Once the conspiracy is out there, there's almost no putting it back because, as I said, you know, about an hour ago, any evidence for the conspiracy is for the conspiracy. Against the conspiracy was planted, so it's actually for the conspiracy. And any lack of evidence was removed, so it's also evidence for the conspiracy. You you cannot get away from that once you enter into the in. You cannot get away from that once you enter into the conspiracy mindset. Exactly. All right. Well, we should we should we should wrap it up. And uh, let's see. Now, are you going to be are you going to be at any skeptic camps coming up or anything like that? Uh, the Colorado Springs one, if they ever get it planned. I mean, it was going to be um, sometime around when we had the Armageddon fires uh, in the August. So, if the Colorado Springs skeptic camp gets planned uh, for within the next few months, I'll probably be at that. Um, Otherwise, the annual Denver one I'll probably be at. Uh, but otherwise, none that I know of. Okay, all right. And 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 uh, you you attended your first TAM this summer. I did attend my first TAM. Okay, and out of uh, out of uh, uh, one to ten, how how would you rate the experience? Ten being I, excellent, and one being uh, having coffee with me. Uh, I've never had coffee with you, so I. I you could imagine. Um, yeah, the the line that I've been saying is that Tam was an interesting experience, okay. and 
it's hard to really compare it with anything because I've never really been to anything like it. And I I did end up writing something like a 3,500 word blog post about my experience at TAM. And there were some, there were a lot of good things. I met a lot of interesting people. Um, yeah, I, I met Joshy Berger, and he he tried a lot of the uh, confections that I brought. That was fun. Oh, I gave a great. bacon chocolate to uh, Pendulette. That was fun. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and there were some not so good things at Tam. Um, I mean, there were a few of the talks that I went to were not good. Um, and there was one that had almost stakes as some of Mike Barra's blog posts. It was <laughs> fortunate. Um, but, uh, yeah, I haven't entirely decided if I'll go uh, next year. Yeah. Of course, if I get a speaking gig at TAM, then of course I'll go. Car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, when does help you get on a panel? Because you, you, you wanted to be no, I'm not on a panel. You wanted to present a paper at the uh, like the Sunday paper session, and then we, you sort of discovered there was it, it, it was a really hard and fast rule who gets picked and who doesn't get picked or something. Well, I won't go into uh, the, the personalities revolving around that, but I did write a proposal to talk at uh, to give a Sunday talk. I was going to talk about 2012, and I was um, a little dis- – well, not a little. I was fairly disappointed that I didn't get chosen to give one of the talks, um, especially considering that it's a talk that really can't be given again because this is – 2012. And I did end up meeting the guy, Ray Hall, who who chooses who's going to give those talks. And basically he said that a lot of the criteria that he looked for – was not on the web page that gives the rules of what you should say in your application and what he looks for. Um, he did admit that it kind of needs to be updated, but he was looking for not just what are you going to talk about and what's your experience, but also what impact have you had in the field before. So, like, he was looking for specific things like have people written to you and said, well, you've saved me from selling all of, selling my house and killing my pets kind of thing. Specifically, that I prevented thirty thousand people from dying, you know that kind of stuff. Right, right. Well, now, now you know. Yeah. Well, it's just like, well, that it would have been nice if you had written that. I mean. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll let you go. Oh, I should mention I'm now on Stitcher. Are you on Stitcher? I am not. Okay. Yeah, I'm on Stitcher, so I guess I'll post a link to Stitcher. Not sure what Stitcher is, but I'm on it. So. What is Stitcher? It sounds like. Or a tailor. I think it's like kind of a live streaming over your iPod or something, your iPhone or something like that. I'll, I will, I will investigate. Um, so yeah, but it's 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 popular with the kids these days. Stitcher. Yeah, I can never stay on top of this technology. It's it moves too quickly. Exactly, we're getting we're becoming old men, Stuart. I'm, I'm, I've aged a lot since I was first on your podcast. Yeah, you're a high school kid with your backyard telescope. Yeah, not quite. Uh, these kids need to get off my lawn. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, keeping keeping up with the latest technology and what's hip is is very taxing. All right. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll wish you good night. Okay, and then I'll catch you later, Stuart. All right. I'll catch you later. All right. Bye bye. 
Shine, will you never find your peace of mind? 